Hi friends, how are you? I hope you're in good health and secure in the world today. That's saying something, and I know our Sangha is worldwide. So some of you may be in some precarious um, locations on the earth right now, and uh, you are always in my thoughts, in our thoughts, yeah? Stay strong, stay safe. Keep your practice strong. Take a few seconds to like and subscribe. It's a Bodhisattva Act. Helps to promulgate uh, this resource, the teachings, yeah? We're going to get a very strong admonition in a moment here in this chapter of the Lotus Sutra from the parable chapter as uh, Shakyamuni is addressing Shariputra directly. Now, this is the pinnacle of Mahayana teaching. And beyond all of the, uh, the argumentations and the academic argumentations is whose words are these and so on and so forth. Listen, Shakyamuni spent 50 years. Have you been to school for 50 years? Doctors don't even go to school for 50 years. They go for a long time, absolutely. And if you count from kindergarten all the way through their advanced degrees to a PhD, uh, they approach that time. And you wouldn't question that a doctor wasn't able, right? May not know everything, but certainly not ignorant, yeah? So, what I mean to say is that when a bodhisattva or a monk like you and I like me, I'm a monk. I'm a dedicated student of Shakyamuni's teachings. Yeah? And I have the tremendous, wonderful assistance of the clarity and the doctrine of Nichiren to guide me directly to the core of Shakyamuni's teaching of the Lotus Sutra. And he stands on the shoulders of Dengyo, Miaolo, uh, Zanran, and... Uh, Tendai, and on and on and on, all the way back to Shakyamuni himself. And he quotes all of them, as well as scholars in other disciplines. Because truth is truth, plain and simple. And one truth that is uncomfortable to us, especially these days, because, well, maybe not as much these days. I don't know, that's a double-edged sword. I'm thinking about the amount of influences that we deal with moment to moment, right? 200 years ago, you didn't have the blathering media and phones and everything just throwing sales pitches and messaging and propaganda at you. Now it's like we hardly have our time for our own thoughts, it seems, because we're being told what to think all the time. So what do, what do you think? Do you even have time to consider that? Yeah, as Buddhists, that's something we value greatly. That's something we want to get to. Because what is that true essential self, yeah? And sometimes in the melee, if you will, of uh, samsara, we make odd alliances, odd what we call friendships. But boy, that word has changed and shifted in me. It's become, it used to be a narrow thing, a friend with somebody, a friend indeed, Right? Or somebody that you just, like a, like sometimes even 
uh, more dependable, more trustful than your own siblings. That's a tough thing to say too, right? Sometimes we make alliances with a lot of friends and they're just friends because we happen to be in the same place doing the same thing together and so we, we smile at one another. We don't really know each other's thoughts as much as we know our own, that's for sure. And we make friendships and it gives us some sort of comfort, but mm, see, that's that samsaric illusion. And we get attached to this idea that we feel comfortable around these people like they're our friends, but we, we paint these little fantasy pictures. Mythologies, really, they're all mythologies, right? Stories. And I said many, many years ago, I wrote a book, uh, A Manifesto as an Artist, back in the 90s. And I said, you know, we have a hard time changing our myths. Our myths are, are equate with our identity. There's that identity thing again, yeah? And it's, it's hard to change a myth. And my suggestion was, don't bother. Don't waste your time changing a myth, right? It's like analysis. Analysis just keeps you in the same loop. No, you need to break free. How do you do that with a myth? Because your very life seems to subsist on it. How do you change your mind? And my suggestion was design a new myth. And as you design a new myth, you invest in that myth. And that myth, without your even trying, simply pushes the other myth out of the way. That's how you do it. That's how you change your system of thinking. But that takes a lot of effort and commitment. And one thing that comes out of understanding that is being more critical of those people whom you call friends. It doesn't mean you have to hack away people that don't equate, that don't measure up. But it means you have to understand their nature. Understanding other people's nature is a tough lesson in life, right? At what age do you finally start to understand that others don't listen to you and hear you the way you think they listen to you and hear you? When we're young, when we're teenagers, we think that when we speak, everyone agrees with us. And when they don't, we battle it out with words and then they become non-friends or we make up and we go, okay, we're friends again. But we tend to forget that their world, their worldview, their mind is operating completely separately from ours. That's a hard lesson. We don't learn that right away. Sometimes we do, but usually our teenage years are filled with figuring ourselves out. And we don't have much time to consider that somebody else is figuring themselves out from a different point of view. If it's different, then it's no good because we're working on our own. It's not we, until we get a little more mature in our 20s and so forth that we start to identify, oh, I, that person's okay. We have a good time when we do this, but I wouldn't want to do this or this with them because they understand the world totally differently. They have different tastes than I do. And those tastes reflect a different kind of person. And sooner or later, as we get into our 30s, 
we have filtered out a lot of people, and they have filtered themselves out because they're doing the same thing with us. Hmm? And we end up with more and more like-minded people to a, to a measure, right? Those that seem to be more resonant, seem to be more resonant with our own thinking, they become closer friends, right? And those that are not as resonant with us, well, you know, we may be friendly in certain situations and we don't wish them harm, they don't wish us harm, but, you know, we steer clear of certain activities that just don't happen together, right? It's not until we get later in our 40s and maybe in our 50s that we start to consider that our time is, is a little more valuable, a little more sacred, a little more, we're starting to feel the ending of life approaching, right? That, that fear of death thing that so many systems take advantage of. But even for ourselves, we start to appreciate more and more moments of our own life, and therefore we get a little bit more reticent to just spend it idly or non-productively, even if that productively part is just reading a good book. Right? We become more attuned to savoring the experience of our own life. There's nothing wrong with that, right? But it can lead to isolation. And that's the dangerous thing about getting old. Right? We start grasping on, craving and clinging to our own experience of life and we start to move away from caring, considering. We may lament, we may cry about war and hate that the political system is so divisive and terrible, but we do so from an isolated place where we don't have to confront it or deal with it. This is why the Bodhisattva mission, so, so, so important. Hmm? It forces us to grow our lives more than we thought we could because it is through those interactions with others that we actually grow and experience more of our potential, right? Fear drives us into isolationism and that's, that's profoundly sad, yeah? But again, like I said earlier, it's a bit of a double-edged sword because now you're much more aware because you know people's natures or you actually have some visibility of other people's nature. And now you have to decide, can I tolerate that nature? Is that nature something that I can still create value with? Or is it something I simply have to work around, get away from, because it's not nurturing to the maximal potential. And in terms of our Buddhist practice, Shakyamuni is about to give us a, a real clear guidance on this. If you're going to pursue enlightenment, if you're going to pursue your bodhisattva path, <clears throat> then you have to be aware, number one, of other people's natures, right? This is the way we do skillful means. Oh, she thinks this way, and that's okay. She thinks differently from me. But the compassionate part is, how can I appeal to her nature to help assist her to discover her bodhisattva path? 
not to fool her, not to propagandize her, but to work with the way she sees the world. You know how you see the world in this way? Well, wouldn't you accomplish that task better if you could do this, if you could be that, if you could learn this? Because here's a, here's a story, here's a parable from Shakyamuni that I think addresses that. What do you think of it? Let's read it together. Let's talk about the burning house together. And let me hear how you read that and how you see that. And you know what you'll find is the result, idea is the same. It's the words, the language, the way she gets to it that's individual to her. And what do you do? You learn a broader vocabulary to talk about the same thing. That's what it means to learn other people's natures. It's not that they're all that different. It's that they navigate knowledge differently from you. But if they have no desire for the knowledge, then it's like talking to a shoe. What, what do you get out of it other than hearing your own voice? Or maybe giving somebody who's not interested at all some verbal ammunition to assault you or somebody else with. Don't feed the ignorance, right? So, listen to the way Shakyamuni puts it. And he already has talked about this, but he gets really direct here. Let's get back to the book. I say to you, Shariputra, of those who malign the scripture, of those who think, you know, Buddhists are weird, or we're this, or we're that, be cautious. People say things without knowing what they mean. But what we need to understand is, do they say it because they're uncomfortable, maybe uneasy when you don't know something, you kind of maybe poke fun at it? But are they willing to hear? Do you know that person well enough to know that they're just saying stupid things right now, but they really are curious, they're seeking, they're, I can help them. I can take them aside when they're not having to demonstrate to others, right, just themselves. Get the ego away. Are they willing to listen? Can they even chant? You can do that. If they're not willing to chant, then you really are wasting your time. And you've learned something about that person. They're really shut off, right? Of those who malign the scripture. So these are people who are demonstrating their contempt, right, in some form. If I were to tell their punishments... Even if I should exhaust a kalpa, I should not finish them. In other words, they're creating such obstacles for themselves to understand and even reach for enlightenment. Right? Oh, that's, it's very saddening and maddening. But until they're ready, you cannot teach somebody who does not care to learn. Then he goes on, for this reason, he says, I expressly tell you, which is you and me, bodhisattvas to be, this is our mission. He expressly tells Shariputra, when you are in the midst of ignorant men and women, do not preach this scripture. Don't waste your time. If there are those of keen faculties of knowledge clear and bright, in other words, that they are want 
to learn anything, everything. They're seeking answers of much learning and strong memory who seek the Buddha path. So it's not good enough that they're just intelligent and bright and looking for answers and the bright world instead of judging and name, you know, you know who I'm talking about. For people like these, and only for them, may you preach. Now, I know some of you, because I've done this, I thought, oh man, I was really hoping I could help that person. But yeah, yeah, talking about, talk about deaf ears. Yeah. But you know what? After enough practice, enough years of practice, I never think about that anymore. Because those people, they just don't show up in my life. It's like I have this great big force field of Namu Myohun and Geikyo around me. And it's like from across the street, I can feel them going, boink, just turning away. I mean, yes, it makes me sad, but it's also a protection because I don't have to work through them. The people who approach me, I know, even if they are completely ignorant of Buddhist practice or Buddhism, will have open minds, will at least hear me, will listen to Namo Myoho will even say it, repeat it. But that will be another level of filtering because some will say it, thanks, that's really cool, da 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 and I won't hear from them for months and months or ever. Okay, I am open to spreading this aura and filling it with Buddhist thought and teaching but if that's too much for you or uncomfortable for you have a beautiful life what else can you do when they're ready they'll come back and see me and they'll know what I'm about that's yeah it means you're not always the most popular person can you live with that? I can. Because it took not very long, really, in years, for me to notice that the people that got around me were either with me to teach me a profound lesson of my own karma. That means not always beautiful and comfortable, sometimes very, very threatening. But they were in my life for very specific activity. And it always had to do with Namo Vyola Nengekyo. And when it was synergistic, like you and I, what could be better? So here he is talking to Shariputra. If a man, having formerly seen hundreds of thousands of millions of Buddhas, has planted seeds of goodness, his profound thought being firm, for a man like this, and only for him, may you preach. If a man strives constantly cultivating thoughts of goodwill, and not begrudging his own body or his own life, then for him alone you may preach. If a man is differential, 
deferential. Sorry, differential. <laughs> yeah. If he's a transmission, if a man is deferential and has no other thoughts, separating himself from common fools and dwelling alone in mountains and marshes, for men like him and only for them, may you preach. So he's eliciting people will struggle with finding their potential differently. Some people will isolate, like I was saying earlier. Older people have a tendency to do this, right? Some, some people just uh, don't want to be around everybody else because nobody understands. Nobody, they're a bunch of dummies, right? Well, maybe they're struggling. And for people like that, you can teach them the way. For, for people who uh, blah, 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 uh, don't begrudge themselves, don't say, you know, oh, I look terrible, I'm fat. I'm you know, women do that a lot. Don't, don't begrudge yourself. You're a beautiful person, ladies. Right Now, you like to hear that, but it's the absolute truth. Now, can you deal with that? Right? For people like that, we need to help one another. Ladies, you help each other, right? Teach them the way. Hmm? And only for them you may preach. Also, Shariputra, he goes on, if you see that there is a man or woman who rejects evil acquaintances, Right? Bad influences. Get away from me. I don't want I don't want to be around you. Right? I mean we've all done that. At some point, there's always somebody who just like, oh, every time I'm around you, I get sick. I do stupid stuff. I do blah blah blah. I don't need your influence anymore, right? Hmm? And clings to good friends for people like this, and only for the them may you preach. They understand good, bad, nurturing, destructive, right? People who always strive for better. Not everybody does. It's not that they can't, but they choose not to. And they're stuck. And if you give them tools that they don't want to understand or can't at this moment, then you give them power to make things worse for themselves. That's the problem. If you see a son of Buddha keeping a discipline as pure and as bright as a bright jewel and seeking the scriptures of the great vehicle, the teaching of the great vehicle, the teaching of the Dharma, for people like him or her and only for them may you preach. If a man having no anger is honest and gentle, now, you see anger, honest and gentle. Why is that the dichotomy? Because, again, anger in Buddhism isn't, Arr! anger in Buddhism is a, sure, I'll help you. Yeah, yeah, just give me 50 bucks and uh, I'll get back to you. Right? The manipulative, the backstabbing. You, know, you don't want her around. She's a da -da 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 -da. right? This is in the Eightfold Noble Path, right? Talking trash, gossiping, blah, blah, blah. This is anger. In Buddhism, right? So that's why he says, if a man having no anger is honest and gentle, when you're honest and gentle, you're not backstabbing, you're not manipulating. You see, that's why they're opposites. Ever pitying all, having compassion, and venerating the Buddhas, seeing good qualities in people, seeing people's 
better natures, you might say. For people like this, and only for them, may you preach. Again, there may be a son of the Buddha in the midst of the great multitude who, with pure thought, and by resort to various means, parables and phrases, preaches the Dharma unobstructed. For people like this, and only for them, may you preach. If there is a bhikshu, a monk, who for the sake of all knowledge seeks the Dharma in all four directions, with joined palms receiving it on the crown of his head, desiring merely to receive and keep the scriptures of the great vehicle. What are the scriptures of the great vehicle, I remind you? The great vehicle, Myoho Rengekyo. The scriptures of the great vehicle, the Lotus Sutra. Not accepting so much as a single gatha from other scriptures. Once you understand the Lotus Sutra, the gathas, again, he singles out the gathas, right? As I've said before, the verse portions of these chapters are the teaching. So is everything else, but the verse are chapters are the memorization. They're the repetition. They're the, the, the word spread by mouth, the oral teaching. Hmm? And what he's saying is once you understand this teaching of the great vehicle, then the gathas of previous sutras of other teachings, they're, they're, they still exist. They're the supporting ground that got us to this point but you don't practice them. They help you to practice this. Just like any teaching, yeah? That builds to its main point. For men like him, and only for men like him, may you preach as a man wholeheartedly seeks Buddha-sariya, the experience of Buddhaness. So may one seek the scriptures or the teachings, I prefer that word, and having found them, receive them on the crown of one's head. In other words, at the pinnacle of one's mind. Mm -hmm. Such a person shall never again wish to seek other teachings. Nor has he ever before thought of the books of the unbelievers. For men like that, and only for them, may you preach. I say to you, Shariputra, that I, in telling of this sort of seekers of the Buddha path, could spend a whole kalpa and still not finish. If they are men, if there are people of this sort, then they can believe and understand this teaching. And for their sakes, you may preach the teachings of the fine Dharma flower, very specifically here. And that's how he ends the parable chapter which leads right into belief and understanding. I'm not a fan of the word belief, but it's usable. And we are reading a translation after all. We'll continue with that in the next video, yeah? Take a short drink here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your practice. And thank you greatly for your support. Even if it's just liking and subscribing this video, it does wonders for the channel to spread the 
the access to this resource. Let people make up their own minds, yeah? And of course, you know the links are all in the description for the website. Lots of free material there. The free podcasts, if you prefer uh, to, to listen that way, right? Uh, links to the ebooks, the print books, the mandala, the proper Nietzschean inscribed mandala, not Bob's mandala or Frank's mandala or Niyoyoyo mandala. They sign their own names and dates and do their own thing on them. We don't practice their doctrine, we practice Nietzschean's. So I'm kind of strict about that. I want to use a Nietzschean inscribed mandala. Uh, of course, he's not alive. So what we have is a digital copy of an extant, actually inscribed Nietzschean mandala. And that's what we use, right? Oh, and um, yeah, I went ahead and published it. I, I still have to go through and do a major uh, read. And, and uh, Miss Sandra will help me. Uh, find all the typos in the, 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 uh, in the new uh, volume two of Buddhism Reference. It's some 330 pages, uh, lots of terminology in there, lots of deep dives into things that, that are foundational. I would say the first volume is much more directed to simply practicing Nietzsche's Doctrine of the Lotus Sutra. And uh, this second volume dives deeper into the histories and older sutras and terminologies that still crop up in the Lotus Sutra. And that if you don't know about them, they might confuse you. So I thought, yeah, best to supply, at least from our modern perspective, what these terms mean to us now. You know, there may be descriptions that come from very early teachings, but at least understand what was meant by them at that time and how it's being used in our modern practice. So the second volume is a little uh, deeper, older terminologies that we're still going to run into, but that it would be helpful to know so you understand how it is we use those concepts, how they've grown into other concepts, you know? Like the Nidana, which eventually becomes the 3,000 realms in a single thought moment. How does it get from there to there? It's kind of handy to be able to dig it. Oh, I understand how this became that, became, right? The five skandhas became eight consciousnesses and then finally nine consciousnesses. It's the evolution of the minds, the capacity of the people and Shakyamuni's exposure to them of new, deeper, more profound understanding until finally the Lotus Sutra. Okay, I'm going to let me go. And uh, I haven't said that in a long time. Uh, you, for your part, keep your practice strong. Please take care of your health. Be mindful of that. And those around you, be kind. And I'll see you in the next one. All right? Bye for now. You can run, but you can't. You can run, but you can't.